Hi, you're listening to Taming the Terminal, Part 28 of N, Network Troubleshooting. This series of discussions is based on a collection of tutorials written by Bart Bouchatz over at bartb.ie slash ttt. This originally aired as part of NoSilicast episode 508, hosted at podfeet.com. I'm Allison Sheridan, host of the NoSilicast podcast, and the other voice you're about to hear is Bart Bouchatz of bartb.ie. Okay, can we tame us a terminal here? Yes, let us go to part 28 of N, and N is definitely going to reach 31. I'm not sure how much higher than 31 it's going to go, but I already have the next three planned out. Wow. Okay. Make that 32. Anyway. uh, Okay, I just rolled my sleeves up. Let's do it. Do we get to open the terminal this time? We most certainly do. We're going to spend a lot of terminal time. So we have spent a lot of time since part 23 of N basically analyzing the infrastructure of the internet. So... The, the theoretical protocols and then the practical implementations and then stuff like the HCP and DNS, which is not in the lower layers. It is up in layer four, but it is infrastructure. It's what makes the internet go. And so we're going to round off that look at the infrastructure by putting it all together in a sort of a, how do I deal with the most annoying question in the world, which is the internet's broken? I mean, where do you start mm-hmm. when you're given such a vague problem statement? And the answer is you start at the bottom and work your way up. And so we're just going to walk through that this week. And okay. we're going to start at the bottom and work our way up. So effectively, I've broken it into four steps. And I use step in the loosest possible term because there's infinite amount of variability. So this can only ever be a guide. It cannot tell you every single if then else because it would take forever. But Loosely speaking, you want to make sure you have basic network connectivity. Then you want to make sure there's an IP configuration that's sane. Then you want to make sure that there's actually IP connectivity, that you can actually talk from machine to machine. And then you've got to make sure that domain name resolution is working. And if all four of those are working, then you don't have a problem. So the chances are, as you work through these steps, one of these four will not be okay. Okay. And you don't the want internet to start- is broken. <laughs> Well, the internet is broken probably means oftentimes it falls back to my ISP is having problems. Right. But you've got to build up to that. And if you start at the top and work your way down, it doesn't really tell you very much because you then all you know if you start at the top is that something lower down is broken. But if you start at the bottom and work your way up, you know exactly where the problem is. And then you can focus your efforts and do something sensible instead of just flailing around with all of these infinite possibilities. Great. So let's start at the bottom of the stack. And the very bottom of the stack is, do we have basic Ethernet connectivity? Do I have at least one network card that is in an active state? Okay. And the command that we're... We have already seen this command, but we haven't studied it. So we have already come across the fact that the ifconfig command allows us to see how our network interfaces are configured, hence ifconfig. Now, what I didn't tell you, and I'm only going to tell you purely for information, is that this command can also be used to alter the configuration of your network. And while on Linux, that's a perfectly cromulent thing to do, on OS X, that is a spectacularly bad idea. Apple expects you to use the uh, network's system preference pane. And if you would like sanity to reign on your Mac, you should use the network's system preference pane. What does cromulent mean? Cromulent. It's a wonderful word invented by the Simpsons that basically means sensible sane. (laughs) Okay. Well, people use dough all the time. Why can't I use cromulent? Because dough is in the real dictionary. (laughs) If I keep this up, cromulent will eventually make it there too. Used in an ironical sense to mean legitimate and therefore in reality spurious and not at all legitimate. Assumes common knowledge of the inherent Simpsons reference. (laughs) Yeah, I like cromulent. It's a good word. Anyway. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. So again, we should always record at midnight your time. 
We should, shouldn't we? Sleep deprived Bart is interesting. Okay. Um, so we're only going to use it to look, but it's very good for looking, and it lets us see what's going on. So this command exists on Unix, Linux, and OS X, and it's almost identical, but not quite. So we're going to use the Mac variant, and the vast majority of this will work just fine on Linux, but you may run into the odd whoopsie. So first off, you can list the first thing you really need is a list of all of the names of the defined network interfaces, which you can get with ifconfig-l, l for list. Okay. This doesn't work on Linux. Not quite sure how Linux users are supposed to get this list, but minus l doesn't work. Uh, remember that l o zero is always going to exist on a Mac, and it is the so-called loopback address, so it's a purely internal virtual network interface, so that's going to be no use trying to connect to the internet. Okay. What we're interested in is a real physical network card, and on Macs, they always have the name EN something. And it's going to be EN the number, so EN0, EN1, something like that. Okay. So we definitely, they're the ones we're interested in. So we use ifconfig-l to get a list of all network interfaces, and depending on whether or not you use VPN software, that list may or may not be very long. So I'm wondering how I have this Mac set up. Ooh, I have a lot here. Um, so... The more normal your network setup, the shorter that list will be. If you see things like P2P0 and Bridge0, then you know that you have some funky software installed. I got P2P0 and AVDL0. Oh, that's one I don't have. Bridge0, zero. STF0, zero. GIF0. Zero. Where's all that? Yeah. Okay. We'll yeah. look at EN0, EN1, and EN3 then. They're, they're the ones of interest. Okay. Yes. So that you can basically narrow it down to the ENs. Now, if you want to see some detail on an interface, it's ifconfig followed by the interface's name. So ifconfig en0 will show you some information about en0. And if you want to see information about everything, you can use ifconfig minus a, a for all. And if you just use ifconfig without any arguments on OS X, that is a synonym for ifconfig minus a. Oh, okay. But actually, there's a more useful one than minus a, which is minus u, which is all of the interfaces that the OS has listed as being up. Now, up doesn't mean active, but it does at least mean that it's not down. Um, what I have found is that on Macs that don't have VPN software installed, minus A gives you, or sorry, minus U gives you really useful information. It basically cuts out all of the cruft and leaves you with only LO0 and your ENs, and everything else vanishes. You Unfortunately, said that's ifconfig space dash U? Dash U. Yes. Now, if you have, if he, if like you and I, you have VPN software installed, everything seems to get marked as up, and it doesn't achieve anything. Okay. I don't think I had the VPN software running on this machine. Doesn't oh, I, it, like Cloak, you're saying? Yeah, Cloak is oh. VPN. Any of these things, they work by creating okay. virtual network interfaces and rerouting your traffic through the encrypted ah. tunnel that they've created, and okay. so they basically make your network config messy. Okay. And unfortunately, minus U cuts through the mess on a normal Mac. It doesn't cut through the mess if you have Cloak or OpenVPN. So unfortunately for us, this isn't as useful. But for most of our listeners, this is going to be really pleasant because they're going to do minus U and they're only going to see what they want to see. Well, I would assume most of our listeners have been listening and have gotten VPN software, though. Not on their desktops. Oh. There's I've that. never stuck my iMac under my arm and <laughs> wandered off. <laughs> Unfortunately, it has a VPN because I have to VPN into work from there. So oh, it's okay. also booked up. <laughs> anyway, um, 
just the regular output isn't as useful as it could be because it actually makes it very difficult to figure out whether EN0 or EN1 or your Ethernet or your Wi-Fi. Right. There is a flag, which I discovered while writing these show notes, called a minus V for verbose. Mm-hmm. And on OS ten, it's actually bloody useful. So if you do, so basically the takeaway is the most useful command for the general case is ifconfig minus uv. So think ultraviolet, and then you'll remember it. Okay, verbose means I'm going to get a lot of slop on my screen, though, doesn't it? Well, not that much extra. It's just a few extra lines for every interface, and one of the extra lines is type colon and then a value, which is type colon Ethernet or type colon Wi-Fi. And that pretty much tells you the most important oh, stuff. Oh, there it is. So what I can EN0 see is my, my Wi-Fi, and which makes EN1 sense. One is my here. Ethernet, which makes sense on an. It is an area you're so using, isn't it? En two. No, it's a MacBook Pro. MacBook Pro with or without built-in Ethernet. Without built-in Ethernet. Okay, then it makes sense. So I've got two Ethernets. No, one of those was created by Cloak. <laughs> so it's almost helpful. It, no, but the Wi-Fi, right? It, at the very least, it will always help you find the Wi-Fi. You know which one's Wi-Fi, got you. And okay. the other thing is, any of the ones, any of the makey-uppy ones will have a higher EN number than any of the real ones. <laughs> makey-uppy ones. Right? So the first Ethernet device you find is your actual Ethernet card. And then if you find an EN3 or an EN4 or an EN5, they're makey-uppy ones. Unless you have a MacBook Pro, which has like, God knows how many Ethernet holes in the back of it. Okay. <laughs> Well, look, it's useful, right? Like I say, there is not a do this, then do that, but this is all information to help you troubleshoot. And hopefully what you would expect to find at the end of this step is that there is at least one network card active, right? So notice it's a status colon. Ah. So if you look at my output, you have LO0, which we're ignoring because it's not for real networky talk. EN1, status active type Ethernet, and EN1 is status inactive type Wi-Fi. So what that tells you is that when I was working on my iMac to create these show notes, I was using Ethernet, not Wi-Fi, and that my network card is EN0. So I think something might not be true that you said, uh, okay. that the makey-uppy ones might not be the higher numbers, and I'll tell you why. So EN, nope. uh, EN0 is my Wi-Fi, EN1, 2, and 3 all say Ethernet, but 1 and 2 say they're not active, and 3 says it is, and I am plugged in via Ethernet right now. Okay. Well, what so that tells me is... EN3 might be a makey-uppy one because I'm using Thunderbolt to Ethernet, though. Yes. Yeah, so these numbers get created in the order devices appear. So if you have them on your motherboard, then it's the order they are on the bus to determine the order. And after that, if the software comes, if the software loads before the dongle is shoved in, the software is going to take the low numbers, and then the ah. dongle is going to arrive too late, and it's going to get the higher numbers. That makes so perfect have, sense. Yeah. So if you have built-in Ethernet, it'll always win. Right. But if you have a dongle, it may not win. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense, because I, I, most of the time, I'm not on Ethernet, except when I'm sitting up at my, my work desk doing a podcast. Yeah. So if you have no active interfaces, the first thing you should do is open up the network's preference pane and see if there's something you could turn on. Mm-hmm. And if there ain't, then there's something really broken. You but at least know that, right? You, have, you haven't wasted your time with other stuff. You found the problem. You have no network card that's working. Does this help me figure out... Well, maybe it doesn't because of what we just said. I was wondering whether it helps me figure out which network is actually running the show right now. So I have, we'll I have get that Wi-Fi... In a moment. Okay, good. Uh, we will get that answer in a moment. I will be able to answer that for you, but not just yet. 
Okay, good. The problem statement is that I believe I have my network card set up such that uh, Ethernet will take precedence over Wi-Fi, but maybe we'll be able to prove it. Okay, well, that's we'll, we, we will see how we get on. We'll see how we get on with that. Okay. So if you're using Ethernet and you have no active cards, it may not be that the network card is broken. It could also be that your cable is bust. Mm. And you might say, oh, well, that never happens. Oh, yes, it does. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> Hence, the people who are listening right now have already heard the story about a cable inside a laptop dying. Yes. Well, yeah. Cables die. And Ethernet cables are often abused. Ethernet cables most certainly die. The other thing, of course, is if you're using Ethernet, there's two ends to that cable. If the problem isn't on your end, it may be on the other end. So follow the cable to its termination and make sure that the switch or router is powered up and looking okay. Uh, Ah. And knowing the Macs don't have link lights, because if you were using a PC, you could look for the link light where you plug in the Ethernet cable. Right. Uh, But Macs haven't had link lights in years because that takes up space or something. Um, But you can look for the link light at the other end of the cable. Because I've yet to come across a modem or router that does sorry, a router or a switch that doesn't have a link light. So if you're on a Mac, follow the cable all the way to its other end and make sure there's a link light. If there's no link light, then either the cable's bad, your laptop's card is bad, or the motor or the, the device is bad, and basically you're gonna have to use some intelligent detective work like plugging in someone else's laptop and see what happens. Changing the cable. You're gonna have to do a bit more detective work, but at least you know if you've run into problems here, you have a hardware problem. You have a low level this thing can't even see the network problem. Right. What I like about what you said at the beginning was that we you aren't chasing some higher level problem. Right. You know already at the very basic level that something's wrong. Exactly. And so what, now, the, usually this isn't where the problem lies. So usually, or a lot of the time anyway, you can tick that off and say, okay, I know that at least at a low level, I have connectivity. At least there's nothing physically wrong. And then you can move up to the next step. So the next step then, okay, so we have an active network card. Do we have one that has IP properly configured? Because if we don't have IP configured, we're still not going to do much talky-talky. So as we have learned throughout this series, there are three pieces of information that need to be configured correctly for your IP to work. You need to have an IP address. You need to have a net mask. And you need to have a default gateway, otherwise known as a default route, otherwise known as a router. In other words, the computer has to know what its own IP is, what the net mask is, and how it talks to people outside its subnet. And it's also for the config to be sane, for it to be cromulent. Um, <laughs> the, the IP address for the router has to be in the subnet defined by the IP and the net mask. And if you don't know how to do the math or you're not sure or you want to double check, subnetcalc.it will help you on your way. And we got to play with that earlier. We did. So in order to see what's configured, we again rely on ifconfig. So at this stage, we know what network card we're using. So we don't have to read through quite as much glop. We can say ifconfig minus v and the name of the network card. So for me, that was en0. Or if you're not sure, just print them all. It doesn't matter. If there, is an, if there is IP configured on an interface, there will be a line that starts INET and then an IP address. Hang on a second. What, do, what did dash V mean again? Verbose. Verbose, right, right, right. So it gives us a few extra lines. Not many extra, but some extra lines. But we so got rid of the U because we already know which one we're targeting now. Exactly. So I know I'm targeting EN0, so I'm just listing EN0. You could list them all and do a bit of scrolling, but I just figure for the show notes especially, I'd be concise. Oh yeah, no, I like this. Okay. So I have bolded 
The stuff I want to draw your attention to, so the command I have config minus VEN0, inet 192.168.10.42, that's my IP address. Netmask, OX, blah, 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 right? That actually is a class C, or if you're not sure, you can stick it into subnetcalc.it, and it will tell you it's a class C. And the uh, that's it. That's all of, inf- of interest here. While you have this information, you should look for something else just to just to reassure yourself that your your cable is is not just functional but functional properly there's a little thing there called link quality colon hmm. if you have basically an ethernet cable that's almost at the end of its life you know the, the, it's just about managing to get some packets through that will not say 100 good that will say a number lower than 100 and a statement other than good you could have a dodgy connector too right you can, absolutely. Or right, highly AX likely have to uh, blow the dust out, depending on how dirty your Mac is. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, I've certainly had to do it. I've had to do it, too. What do I have to do on a power? My laptop wouldn't uh-huh. charge. I was like, oh, no, it was dirt. <laughs> there you go. Or also, actually, particularly if you've recently been jiggering about with cables on your router slash switch, those things sit around for years. There's every likelihood of dust in one of those ports. Yeah, yeah, good Especially point. Especially if you've recently plugged something in, the, the report that had been empty for ages. So we now have two of our three pieces of information. We have our IP and our netmask. We do not yet have the third. So to get the third, we need another command. And this is a command I am not going to describe in detail today. It is on the list for the future because it is probably an entire show in itself. It is the netstat command. And so in particular, we want netstat minus rn, and we're only interested in one line of output, so I have given you the egrep to suck out the information we care about. So it's netstat minus rn, pipe, egrep, and then you should read that regular expression as starts with the word default. And that should spit out a line, which should contain an IP address. And that IP address is the IP address you have configured to use as your router. Do you have to spell netstat correctly for it to work? Yeah, ideally speaking. <laughs> okay. It's a way to go. I got and two lines. You, you got two lines, which means you have two active network interfaces. That makes sense. Wi-Fi so and, and at Ethernet. The last, the last column should tell you what interface that is being used on. That is being used on? What is being used on? So that the default gateway is on which interface? Because remember, there's, if you have two interfaces up, you have two IP addresses, you have two netmasks, and you have two default gateways, you have two of everything. So, so you should see default and IP address... And on the very last column, it should say EN0. And then default, an IP address, probably the same one. And on the very last column, it'll say EN1. So, right, it's EN3 or EN3 and EN0. So that's my Ethernet over Thunderbolt or whatever it's called. Over, yeah. yeah, and uh, my Wi-Fi. So what, now, what did I learn from this, though? Well, you should know which one is in play for sure. So in other words, I know for sure that EN0 is the network interface that has traffic going through it. And in your case, I think... It is the one on top is the one that's in charge. Okay, so that does that should be the answer based on what I what I think I did. <laughs> no, what okay, I know so, I did that so I think so should have worked. Good. So that is that is and normally for most people listening, as a general rule, I would say you're better off only ever having one active. I I will go in and I will I like I I'm using over Ethernet because even though I'm on a laptop because it's Skype and let's just not give it any excuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would turn off my Wi-Fi and then plug in the Ethernet cable. You do that? Oh man, I plug in and unplug from this, uh, you know, four or five times a day. That'd get old. Okay. As I say, <laughs> if you're not having any problems, right? No yeah. problem. Yeah. 
But if you start getting funniness, that is a potential thing to try. As a PSA to anybody who is doing Skype and having any kind of network problem, you'd be amazed how big a difference an Ethernet cable makes. Uh, my my router is actually so close to my laptop that if I lean the lid back a little bit, it hits it. And yet I had a bad signal going to Tom Merritt for Daily Tech News Show. And he said, plug in Ethernet. I said, come on, Tom. It's like, it's like an inch and a half. He said, plug it in. And it fixed it. So I am a believer now. I will also say that being too close to a radar is really bad because it's outside of the sweet spot for the radios. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, well, I don't have any choices. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. No, you're right. Ethernet is just more reliable. Yeah. yeah so the expected great. results of step two is that you will find an IP address, a net mask, and a default gateway, and that they are all sensible. Okay. If that is not what you find, then you have a problem. And most likely it's to do with DHCP. Because we don't program in stuff these days, we just expect the router to hand it to us over DHCP. So either DHCP has been turned off on that interface, so you go into network system preference pane, switch the interface to DHCP, wait a second, then it should be fine. Or you need to go to the router and make sure that DHCP is configured on that end. But basically, if this isn't happening, it's a DHCP problem. So we have again tied it down. I would like to make a plug to people uh, to bookmark Bart's show notes at all times, because uh, what I'm getting to see, and you guys haven't probably seen unless you're following along, is for each one of these steps, he has, for example, step two, check basic IP configuration, then he does everything he just told us, and then he says expected result, he tells you what it is, then he says possible problem solutions. So this hasn't happened to you today, but when it does, know that when you go to Bart's show notes, you're going to be able to go, check this, this is what it should like look like, it doesn't, okay, here's what's wrong. And instead of having to remember, you know, three months from now what Bart said. He's documented it beautifully. I love the layout of this. It's really hey. cool. I've been thinking about this particular episode for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> so once we've done that, we're now fairly confident that the, the setup on the machine itself is at least sane. So now it's time to start sort of probing the network it's connected to and see where things break down. And so we're going to be very careful here when we're doing this that we never use a domain name because the problem may be further up the stack with DNS. So we want to make sure that we're dealing only with IP addresses for the moment to make sure that we have IP connectivity because we don't want to mix up two sets of problems. So that's why you'll notice everything I'm doing here in step three, I'm doing based on IP address and never doing anything based on a name. And that's not an accident. That's very much by design. Okay. Now, our friend here is a command which I... I don't think we've actually talked about it, even though I'm sure we've mentioned it in passing. It's the good old-fashioned ping. Yay! Does that come from submarines? I am pretty sure that's exactly where it comes from, because that is very much the idea of ping. Yeah, so, so picture the, the guy in World War II in the, uh, inside the submarine, and he's looking at the little screen going around in a circle going, ping, ping. That's what it is. Well, it's... Uh, actually, it's it probably not, comes it's from It's even bats. more basic. It's basically you, you, you ping it. Well, no, the way those sonars... Work, it's the way it's sonar rather than radar. So the way sonar works is you send that a ping and you wait to hear it bounce back. And however long it took to bounce back tells you what's out there. That's actually the way radar works as well. It's just different That's frequency. It, it sends electromagnetic energy out and measures uh, not only how long did it take to come back, but the phase, like, is it, is it speeding up or slowing down as it comes towards you? Hang on, the speed of light is constant. That doesn't... Oh, you mean how much the color has been shifted? Yeah, okay, now with you. The Doppler shift. Yeah. Because that will exactly. tell you whether the targeted device... Yeah, okay. Exactly. Uh, anyway, the whole point... Right, so uh, Ping uses something we haven't talked about before. So we've talked about Ethernet and IP and 
uh, UDP and TCP. We haven't mentioned something called ICMP, which is the Internet Control Messaging Protocol. This sits next to IP. So it's not on top of IP, it's next to IP. And the reason we don't hear about it very much is because it is not for carrying information. It is purely a diagnostic protocol. So you can't have like a Skype conversation over ICMP. That makes no sense. It's okay. always going to be over IP. But ICMP is above Ethernet next to IP and its sole function in life is diagnostics. Hmm. And the way ping works is that when you create a ping, you create a packet of, ty- of an ICMP type which contains something called an ICMP echo request. And assuming that the device at the other end, that the IP address you specified, is behaving properly, it will receive the ICMP request and respond with an ICMP echo. And that will come back to you, and then you will know that the thing on the other side is working. And you will also know that you have network connectivity in both directions to that other guy, because you sent a packet, it arrived... And it was bounced back to you. So you now know that there is definitely a free path for packets to flow between me and that guy in both directions, which is very useful. Now, I should say that not everyone responds to pings. And this is a little, all right, see a little soapbox here? I'm going to get up on it for a minute. (laughs) According to the RFCs, it is a requirement that you respond to pings. But a lot of people have decided not to. And Steve Gibson is guilty of this big time. So his Shields Up actively encourages people to block pings. Really? And although it is completely against the RFC, there's no particular reason that your home router should be answering to random people on the internet. So I kind of understand it from Steve Gibson's point of view. And what was RFC te- again? Or did you tell us? I didn't. It actually stands for a request for comment, but it's actually used as a standard. Okay. So it, it's kind of weird. But basically in tech, like the IMAP protocol is defined by RFC, blah, 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 blah. And so all of these protocols are defined by RFC. So it's RFC and then a number, and it takes you to a document that explains in horrendous detail how the protocol works. Anyway, so according to the official RFCs for TCP IP, you should always answer to an echo, but no one does. What really makes me annoyed is that Windows Server doesn't answer echoes by default, and that drives me nuts in work. But on the whole... A awful lot of things do, and your home router most certainly will, and most of your your Mac will. Your your I don't know about Windows machines; I don't have any, but your Mac will. Anyway, the first bit of connectivity to test is going to be to ping your router. But before we get there, actually, sorry, the ping command is very simple: ping space the IP address you'd like to ping. Not a difficult command. Now, on Ping exists on Windows, ping exists on Mac, ping exists on Linux, ping exists everywhere, but it's subtly different in its behavior. So Windows users, when you say ping and an IP address, it will send exactly four pings and stop. On a Mac, Linux, or Unix, it will ping until you tell it to stop. And a lot of people get themselves confused here because you issue the ping command and it just never ends. It goes on forever. And the way you stop it is Control-C. That always confuses me. (laughs) Oh, yeah. When I try a lot con- of stuff before I get to Control-C, Control-S, Command-S, saving stuff out. Yeah. So Control-C will stop it, and then it will stop it in an organized way, even though that sounds like an abrupt thing to do. It will stop sending pings, it will calculate some statistics, and then print them out for you, and then exit. Now, if you don't want to do the Control-C thing, you can use the minus C flag to tell it how many you, you would like it to send, and 10 is actually a really good number. So I would say, get into the habit of saying ping minus C, 10, and some IP address. And then you don't have to worry about the control C. Minus C is like count? Yes, exactly. It is what it stands for. It stands for count. 
So I hope I remember we want that one because that's a nice one. It is. And if you're on Windows and you want to ping for infinity, by the way, it's minus T. <laughs> okay. Just if you do. Uh, if you're a, to be honest, if you're a network admin, you will have infinite pings running all the time while you're messing around with stuff. And then when the ping stops, you know, you've broken the network and you should put it back. So there are uses for infinite pings, but they make me annoyed most of the time. Uh, so we want to do, we want to start probing out to see how this computer that's giving trouble is seeing the network. So the very first thing to verify is that you can ping the router. So you have been configured to use this IP address as your default router. Assuming that's in any way correct and in any way working, you should be able to ping that device and it should answer you back. So that's our only, default gateway, right? Yes, our default gateway, our default okay. router or our router. All synonyms for the same thing. Great, okay. And not only should it answer, there should be no dropped packets because for goodness sake you're going from one end of your house to the other. <laughs> and it should do so very bloody quickly. Okay. So we should be seeing fractions of a millisecond. So you can see my output. So my router was 192.168.10.1. So I say ping minus C10, 192.168.10.1. I get back 10 pings, 0% packet loss. And you'll see that my round trip times are 0.3, 0.4, 0.2. But they're all in a cluster and they're all zero point. Yeah, if you search, yours, are, yours are overall higher than, uh, much lower than mine. I've got a bunch at about one and a half. Uh, I average 0.4. Well, that would imply to me that my router has a slightly better CPU than yours. Because we both have gigabit Ethernet. Yeah, mine's a brand new Airport Extreme six inches away. Mine's a giant big Dell machine with two network cards stuck into it running PSN. I might be going through a Netgear here. Let me see. Oh, ah, depending on where you are, yes. No, wait. I don't know where I'm going. What the heck? (laughs) No, this doesn't make any sense at all. Just a minute. (laughs) <laughs> oh, no. For a minute there, I thought it was going into the Verizon router. No, it's Ooh. going into the Airport Extreme. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Anyway, they're still fine, right? They're, they're, still, they're sure. still perfectly prominent. No times. packet loss. Exactly. You should see 0%. If you see anything other than 0 on your LAN, you have a problem. Like, you, you know, you might get the odd packet drop to the internet, but on your LAN, it absolutely has to be 0 or you have a problem. Okay. And the other thing that's a sign of trouble is if you see like 8.2, 7.3. If there's a massive variance, that's not healthy. That means that there's congestion. That means you might have a dodgy cable. If you're using Wi-Fi, you might have RF interference. Hmm. So we're pointing at, if you start to see there is connectivity, but it's poor, then you're into, there's something that's working, but it's only just working. And that means that you're into something being dirty, something being broken, something getting interference. So you should, in theory, see nice, clean results. Assuming you do, you then want to start probing further. Okay, so we now know we're good as far as the router. So now we need to try something the other side of the router, something on the internet. And if we happened to know our ISP's router's IP address, we could ping it. But let's face it, no one does. And if you're called in to help a friend, they're not going to know and you're not going to be able to find out. So what I have settled on over many years is there is one IP address in the world that I remember, (laughs) 8.8.8.8. It is officially Google's DNS responder, and we're all allowed to use it for DNS, but it very conveniently answers pings and is very unlikely to be shut down. So it's a wonderful little test. So I will then say, if I can get to the router, next step, ping minus C10, 8.8.8.8. And you should again get 0% packet loss if everything is going perfectly. 
But you should notice a notable increase in time because you're now going to Google and back, not to your router and back. So I'm getting times in the order of 10 to 30 milliseconds. And you may or may not be getting very different times to that, but they're going to be higher. They're definitely going to be higher. Uh, wow, I'm getting 58. That, right, my times are spectacularly low. Why? That's interesting. I have 250, uh, yeah, we've just been upgraded 250 megs our internet, so. Right, but you wouldn't think that, I mean, I'm at like 70 megabits a second. 70 is good, Ellison. Um, Anything, anything below, anything 70 and below is considered great, and it's quite normal to have 120. No, 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 oh. I'm sorry, seven, I said 70 megabits a second is what my... my. Uh, oh, no, no, sorry. What are you getting in milliseconds? Uh, 55. Oh, that's grand. No, that's good. That's, oh, okay. Don't worry about that. That's, that's good. Uh, it's normal. On, on, D, on DSL, I used to get 120, 130. Mm. So these are fine. These are absolutely fine. Okay. Uh, they should be consistent. They shouldn't be massively varying. Now, when I say massively varying, right, I have one at 30-something and one at 11. That's not massively varying. I mean, if there's different amounts of digits the other side of the the decimal point, that's massively varying. Uh, And again, it should be 0% packet loss. But it's especially around, you know, peak times. A lot of ISPs overload their network. If a network is suffering, if it's not quite fully overloaded but getting saturated, you will have 10% packet loss. Or maybe five percent, or something like that. So, would a one or be, two packets is okay. Okay. Would Would this be any kind of an indicator? Um, you know, we often tell people that it would be better to change your uh, DNS to not your ISPs, but to Google's or OpenDNS. Um, would this be any kind of an indicator of the ping time or packet loss if you're seeing slow speeds? No, because. These ping times, remember, are going completely clean through your ISP. And so it wouldn't matter where you went for DNS outside of your ISP, it'd have the same cruft to get through. So we, oh, okay. So if you were looking, if you looked at, uh, at uh, Google's, you'd get bad. And if you looked at their own, you'd get bad. If you had yeah, I, I don't think okay. it would. Yeah, going to Google certainly won't make anything better. Okay. Uh, un- okay. Unless the problem is entirely different. So we're still at the low yeah. connectivity gotcha. level. Okay. And so hopefully the expected result is that you have no packet loss to your router and hopefully little to no packet loss out to Google servers, in which case you now know that you have IP connectivity to the internet. Which means that whatever your problem is, it's higher up the stack than that. Now, it is also very likely that this is where things break. This is where things usually go wrong, right? Because usually when someone has a problem, it's that their ISP is down. And so the symptom you would see then is, I can hit my router, no problemo, I cannot get beyond it. Or their connection that, to their ISP is down. Yes. Not necessarily the ISP is down. There is a problem, and the people you got to call is your ISP. Yeah. It's basically the... the, the, the Which the, is always the, what you're really hoping for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the symptom there would be, I can hit my router, and then I can't go any further. If you can't even hit your router, the problem is on the LAN. You need to get your LAN fixed, because that's where the problem is. Your router may be broken, your router may be misconfigured. The problem is in your house, and whatever you do, don't waste your ISP's time complaining. If you can't even ping your own router, the problem is your own router. Would you, through pinging your own uh, router, be able to see problems that you have poor connectivity in a room, for example? Depending on how poor. So if you had really bad Wi-Fi, and you ran a constant ping, you would expect packet loss. 
Okay. So uh, my fr- uh, the reason I'm asking is my friends, uh, Diana and Bill, had uh, an airport extreme up in their den. And if you were right next to it, you'd get, I don't know, 50 megabits per second. Uh, but if you walked into their kitchen, mm-hmm. you were down to like 1.2 megabits per second. I would expect to see that the, um, the, the times start to get very erratic. Okay. And I would okay. expect to see lost packets as the your signal time. gets okay. worse. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately, I convinced him to buy a new router and it fixed everything, but I would have liked to. More now powerful, that I, I would yeah. What's that? It's probably the new router is more powerful or they've put it in a better place or they now have two, is it? Same place. Uh, new. New. Yeah. Well, new is better. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm just thinking I wish I'd known this because it would have been fun to go, well, I see your problem right there. You get your packet loss. And then I would have said, yep. yeah, buy a new writer. <laughs> yeah. Now, for, ordin- for for people with a normal setup, this is where you'd stop and you'd pick up the phone now if you had the symptoms described and you'd call the ISP. But for people like yourself and myself who actually have two routers in our house, we need to be a little bit careful we don't jump the gun. Oh, that's right. Because for us... There's two routers that could be broken. So if we reach our default gateway, we have only arrived at the router we like, the one we set up ourselves. We haven't yet tested further. So we could either test further by knowing its IP address and pinging it. And if you happen to know it, you could do that. Or we can break out a new tool because new tools are fun. Yay. And the la- So this is the last new tool we're going to introduce. And it's the tool called TraceRoot or okay. TraceRT if you're a Windows user. It exists on Windows, but it's called TraceRT. What this command does is effectively it barfs out lots of packets at your destination with a twist. It gives those packets something called a TTL, a time to live, but it's misnamed because it's not time in terms of minutes or seconds or hours or any sort of chronological time. It is time in terms of how many routers it's been through. Oh. So the way it works is first first you send out a whole bunch of packets with the TTL of one. And so they land on the first router the, t- the router's job is to d- decrement the TTL and then pass the packet on unless there's no TTL left. And then it's supposed to answer back to the source IP saying, hello, I got your packet. It ran out here and I'm so-and-so. Well, that way it just doesn't run away forever? No, that way you get to see every step of the way. So first you send that out about, say, 20 packets with the TTL of one and you get back an answer and you say, ah, okay, I know who's one step away from me. Then you send out the same to the same destination but with the TTL of two then you see who's two steps away from you. And then you do it with a TTL of three. And you keep raising the TTL until you actually arrive at your final destination ah. or until you've got no answer for a load of steps and you give up, one of the two. And so this will allow us to punch through our router to our ISP's router and then try to go beyond. I can see my second router. Exactly. And then you know it's all good. So, by the way, some people may not be playing along for a long time, uh, have, may not have been playing along with this for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, just to, I'll tell my setup, then you tell them yours, is mm-hmm. I have an airport extreme, but it's hooked up to a Verizon uh, wireless router. And we have disabled Verizon's ability to control my network, which is why I have two. In my case, I, my internet comes through my cable TV provider, and they provide me with a box made by Samsung that does TV, phone, and internet and is awful. <laughs> Uh-huh. And so I have my own router that is not awful sitting behind it, and then my own my whole home network hanging off my router that I can configure properly. So, so if anybody wants to know how we did mine, uh, Bart helped me set mine up, and I have a tutorial on that. Send me a note if you want to do the same thing. It's one of my favorite things we've ever done. Yes, and it would have been so much easier if we'd done all of this first. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we made it. By the so, way, I see my trace route looks a lot longer than yours over to Google. That's interesting. I know Google have data centers in Ireland. I may be going very locally to Google. You might be. Mine's 11 steps 
Well, yours is nine. A little closer. Yeah. Um, so what you'll see is basically, so I have put in bold my two routers. So what I would expect to see if everything was fine is my first router, which is called BWPF Sense. Then my ISP's CRUDY router, which has 192.168.192.1. Mm-hmm. Now, my ISP is one of those charming people who don't bother answering pings or trace routes. So we have two mystery steps. They just didn't answer. But when the TTL was put up to five, we started getting answers again. And we keep getting answers until we arrive at Google at a step of nine. And that is a sign of everything working. If the problem was at my ISP, it would be exactly the same as it is. But after two, it would be stars all the way and it would never stop. And then oh. basically you'd have to hit control C and say, okay, there is no internet connectivity beyond that second router. Now, but if, if the problem... If you're, if you're, just for those of us who have um, ISPs who do respond to pings, what would it look like? It wouldn't be stars. What would it look they like? They wouldn't be stars. They'd just be IP addresses like everything else in the list. But it would just keep repeating the same one over and over again? No. So basically there are two routers that don't answer here. One, at, one three hops out and one four hops out. I know, but I'm saying if uh, mine does respond... Your source response, so I would expect to see lines similar to five, six, seven, eight. Wait a minute. Okay, you said you said if there were a problem at my ISP, oh, I sorry, would if there see were a problem the stars. At your ISP, yes. Basically, nothing after the second router would respond. Nothing. So you just it would just sit there idling. Yeah. So basically, your second router would not be able to get to the internet, which means the problem is, is your ISP's problem. So yours if, would get stars, but mine would get nothing. You no, no. Sorry, my... stars. Stars. Nothing. Are synonymous. Apologies. So it would keep giving stars just like yours? Yes. yes. Okay. Got you. Yes. Okay. Now, if the problem, on the other hand, was between our two routers, mm-hmm. we would get to the first one because we know that from the pings, mm-hmm. and then the stars would start. We would not get to the mm-hmm. second one. And then we'd know that the problem was still our problem because there was a communication issue between our two routers. And then we'd have okay. to figure that out before we phone the ISP. This is cool. I like this. Mm. So I don't really care about any of the glop once I hit... So I hit my first router, my second router, and then something that has Verizon.gni.net in it. So I assume that's my ISP. Yeah. Then a whole bunch of glop, and then uh, Google's uh, 8.8.8.8. Yeah. Now, uh, just one more thing to say before we move off. So if you're using Ethernet, the cable could be damaged or whatever. But if you're using Wi-Fi, some things to watch out for is if lots of your neighbors are on the same channel, that channel could just be congested to all heck. And then you're going to have lots of packet loss, really erratic times, and you should really find an empty channel. There's a lovely tool whose name escapes me now. Uh, it's a pen knife. Uh, it's a pen knife icon. Is it Ice Tumbler? Ice Tumbler, yeah. And it that, doesn't have that same graph that it used to have, though, uh, that, that lets you see the different, uh, the 5 gigahertz versus a 2.4. Yeah. Oh, that's a pity. Because that was great, because then you could really see what was going on. Yeah, but even, we used even that to solve it, Steve's problem. And the other thing, of course, is it could be some sort of ORF interference. So maybe you bought a phone that's being really bad and just breaking your Wi-Fi. I don't know what it is. There is something in my parents' house that makes all Wi-Fi broken. I have never been able to find out what it is. I just know that if you're relying on Wi-Fi, you're not going to have a nice day. Well, remember my uh, what happened? Why does my internet go away when the when the telephone rings? <laughs> exactly, that's RF interference. Yep. So at this stage, we now know that although there is a, obviously some sort of problem because people are complaining, we actually know at this stage of the tests that there is perfect IP connectivity, which means that the last thing to check is can we turn IP addresses to names and vice versa? Because if we can't, it will appear the internet is broken because everyone who goes to a web browser is typing in a domain name. No one is typing in IP addresses. 
Okay. So the final step is to try to resolve a name. And you should pick a name that you know really exists. I just use Google.com because I have no imagination. So host Google.com. If everything is working fine, you should get an answer. Google.com has address. And being Google, they don't have one. They have loads. Why don't you and just you say just, ping Google.com? That's what I do. You could do that too. That would also, that would tell you by side effect. Because ping would have had to do with DNS to find the IP. So yes, it would tell you, but it wouldn't be as explicit. What does host mean? Host means do a DNS query. Okay. I'm checking DNS. The host command does a DNS query, so it's not a side effect. It's actually... The ping okay. will look. If you, if you prefer to remember pinggoogle.com, that will work too. But that's basically relying on the fact that ping will then need to do a DNS query. I, I just prefer to be more explicit. Okay. It, it, either is fine. The point being, if that fails, if you cannot get google.com into an IP address then there's something wrong with DNS. And so the first thing to do is see, is DNS configured on this computer at all? Because if it isn't configured, it definitely can't work. Mm, and the easiest... It can be if it's configured on the router. No, no. If you have it on the router, that configuration makes it to your computer. Oh, that's by right. DH by DHCP. Okay. If your computer doesn't know who to ask, it can't do it. Your computer has to know who to ask. And so the, basically there's a file called etcresolve.conf that contains that information. And the lines we're interested in start with the word name server, all one word. So I've put here the command to sort of grep out only the lines we care about because that file has other glop in it. So the command shown in the show notes is cat slash etc resolve.conf pipe egrep. And then the way you should read the regular expression is starts with name server. So that should return at least one line. Uh, if it returns more than one, that's great. Then you have two name servers configured, twice the chance of success. But on a home computer, one is the norm, and one is fine. One is enough. It just can't be zero. So if you look at my sample output, it's one name server, which is my router, which is very common to see it that way. I'm typing this in because, you know, I never like to oh, you don't copy, copy and paste because then it would uh, eliminate the typos, and that wouldn't be any fun at all. <laughs> It works. Well, it's also it's better to learn, right? If I think it. so. That's why I do it. And I'm guessing it's probably your router as well. Yes. Yes. It is. And that's because good. Yes. And that, so that is, that is a sign that at least it's configured. If it were not working, we would then say, okay, well, at least it's configured. There's obviously something else going on. So if it but weren't if, working, it would, it would not return a name server at all? Maybe, depending on why it's not working. So... One of the reasons it could not work is because it wasn't configured, and that would be the easy one to fix because then you just go configure it. <laughs> okay. um, if it is configured, then there's something else going on, and maybe that name server is having trouble. If that's your router, then I would immediately say the finger of suspicion is now straight on your router. Either it's misconfigured or it's broken. Okay. So the first step is just to make sure that it's configured, because if, it if it's not configured, then there's your problem. And if it is configured, then at least it tells you where to go look for the problem. Uh, something else I just do, if there's any sort of question at all, if, if it's not working, and even though it is, whether or not it is configured on your computer, if it's not working, I would always do a quick test. Does my ISP let me hit Google's servers for DNS? And so dig plus short google.com at 8.8.8.8 will answer that question for you straight up. Wait, what, is, what question's it answering? Can my computer reach Google's name servers for DNS? There are ISPs that block DNS traffic to DNS servers that are not theirs. I hate those ISPs, but they most certainly exist. So if I was coming into someone else's house and I was trying to troubleshoot, I would check if I can use Google. 
and that's the command to answer that question for you. Oh, okay. Because you might be going in and saying, okay, I'm just going to start using Google's DNS, but if I didn't do this first... I could be making things worse because I could be programming in something that the ISP is actively blocking. Oh, I need to fix the problem. I need to draw a circle around this one. That's important. It's, yes. Okay. It's, it's, it's a great bit of reconnaissance work to do. Okay. So the expected result is that the name server resolves, that you know, the name turns into an IP address without any errors. But if that's not the case, then the first thing is, is there a configuration listed in resolve.conf? If there isn't, you should still start your troubleshooting not on the computer itself, but on the router. Because really, DHCP should be giving that out. If DHCP isn't giving that out, you need to reconfigure DHCP. Only if you can't fix it on the router should you consider hard coding a DNS server into your Mac. You can do it, it will work. You just go to network, um, the network's preference pane and you can put one in. And you can, you know, if 8.8.8.8 works, stick it in and it'll work. But it's always better to fix these things on the router, not on the individual computer. Because if you hard code it into the computer and then you then take that computer somewhere else, the settings may not make sense because they may not allow you access Google servers and Starbucks or whatever. Yeah, and that's that's we used to do it locally on the on the machine, and that was a pain. So this is the way you should do it now, right? Correct. So I would say start on the router. If that fails, well, look, better to have it working at all than not at all. Then fall back to the machine itself. Yeah, yeah. And at this stage, if all of these tests pass, then the problems are in your head, or <laughs> or the problems are to do with something else. So if they're saying, well, the internet's broken because I can't browse to Google, then maybe the browser's the problem. Or if they're saying the internet's broken because I can't play this game, maybe there's something wrong with the game, maybe the port is blocked. But at that stage, you're you're out of the internet's broken and into this app is broken. And Facebook, that's just, Facebook was down this week, Bart. It could have uh, somebody could have thought the internet was down because Facebook wasn't there, right? Yes, actually, yes, <laughs> they really could. So at that stage, really, it's beyond the scope of what we're doing here. And but hopefully, this process will at least allow you to say that look, your basic network connectivity is working, or more realistically, one of those four steps will fail, and you will then know where to focus your efforts. So it's not a do this than this, but it is a use this to figure out where to look for the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is really cool. And like I said, the show notes are fantastic for following this later because none Excellent. of us hopefully have that problem right this minute. Well, how would you have downloaded the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to wrap up with that, but just to sort of give you an expectation of where we're going. So we're now done with the plumbing. We're done with the infrastructure. We're done with the what makes it tick. And we're now going to start playing with things that tick over the internet, that tick over the network. So that use this infrastructure we've now described in such wonderful detail. And we're going to start with something that sounds like it should be a one-show thing. The Secure Shell Protocol, SSH. How hard can it be? It's not hard, but goodness me, is that a powerful tool. So it is probably going to take at least two, if not three shows to talk about all the cool stuff SSH can do. It is wonderful. So that is what you have to look forward to. I have definitely always wanted to know more about that. So excellent. Okay. Well, until then, happy computing and happy networking. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Taming the Terminal. Remember that all of the information you've been hearing is available as text tutorials at bartb.ie slash ttt. If you'd like to contact us, you can write to allison at podfeet.com or podcasting at bartafisser.net.